words on water. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. I'm the host, Travis Luke. This episode is part of a new series from WEF looking at diversity and the water sector. For these episodes, I am happy to be joined by a co-host who is my colleague at WEF. Hello, I am Rakia Nance and will be co-hosting this series. Initially, these episodes will focus on social justice and equity issues for Black Americans as they pertain to the water sector. Then we'll explore other issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We will talk to a variety of people from across water, different occupations, different points in their careers, different ages, different places, different races. Our goal is to have open, candid conversations, and we hope that the dialogue can raise awareness about problems and solutions and enable us to move forward together and build equity. For this episode, we are joined by three utility leaders. We have Kathy Bailey, Executive Director of Greater Cincinnati Waterworks. Welcome, Kathy. We also have Randy Heyman. He is Commissioner and CEO of the Philadelphia Water Department. Welcome to Randy. Thank you. And we have Tony Parrott, CEO of Louisville and Jefferson County Metropolitan Sewer District. Welcome as well to Tony. All right, let's dive into this conversation. Um, each of you have had your own uh, unique entryways into the water sector. So could you tell us about uh, your individual paths to water? Who should we pick on for to go first here? Maybe Kathy can start us mm -hmm. off. Sure, I'll start us. Uh, my path was right out of college. You know, I think during college, I had a part-time job where I worked at US EPA as a uh, research chemist part-time. And so right out of college, I continued to do research um, in the chemistry lab at, and it was all in drinking water. And so that was the beginning of my drinking water career. Uh, and that was in 1991 and 1992 um, when that happened. And so I, I think I just landed there because I had had a part-time job. So that was my path right into water. Okay. Let's turn to Randy next. Okay. Well, my career was, was different. I'm actually a lawyer by trade. I attended Georgetown Law School, had worked as assistant attorney general for the state of Missouri, had worked with law firms and all. And then an opportunity came to become the general counsel for the Metropolitan St. Louis Sewer District. I thought I'd do it for two years. I ended up doing it for 10 years. And then I went from there to become the uh, general counsel for DC Water uh, with George Hawkins. And I did that for five years. I was a partner at the oldest and largest environmental law firm in the country, Beverage and Diamond. And then the opportunity came to become the commissioner and CEO of Philadelphia Water. And uh, I have to say that my pathway has been unique in that I was an anomaly. I was a, a lawyer. Also, too, when I joined at, with Metropolitan St. Louis Sewer District, I was in my mid-30s, which was still young, on the young side of being the general counsel. The general counsel before me was there 30 years, was 30 years my senior. Um, but the beauty of my career was that I was always given opportunities. 
I was treated as a leader and an important member of the team. I worked with Jeff Thierman and George Hawkins and Willie Horton. All of them were leaders in the water area. And all of them didn't treat me like maybe he can do the job or we have our doubts. I was always treated as, as the right arm and as, as a true uh, contributor. And that's one thing I want to stress in this program. If we're going to have success in diversity, we have to see excellence in everyone when we walk into the room. Thanks. Tony, what about you? How'd you, how'd you get to your seat today? Well, uh, you know, it's uh, been an interesting path for me. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, in Kentucky and I grew up on a farm. And so I was very in tune to the environment. Uh, and I had the opportunity while I was in college uh, to be able to work uh, during the summer at uh, a utility. And the Gateway was, you know, a summer job where we go out and we we we, we paint fire hydrants or we uh, uh, replace meters. And so that was my first exposure into water. Uh, and I did that for a couple of summers. And uh, when I got out of college, uh, after several other uh, paths, I had an opportunity uh, to go back to the utility that I had spent some summertime uh, work at and uh, really had an opportunity to work in a lot of different paths and a lot of different sectors uh, within that utility and uh, uh, graduated to a level of management and uh, eventually the uh, uh, executive director of that utility that I used to be a summer intern. Uh, and so, as Randy said, the path that I've followed has been unique. Uh, I currently am at my third utility, uh, but at each utility, uh, I was the first. I was the first African-American uh, leader of, of the three utilities that I worked at that uh, is probably not uh, 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 unique in terms of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of folks that are experiencing leadership at the utility level and the utility sector. Uh, and uh, the opportunities that are there are really uh, wide open. Uh, it's a career path that uh, I support uh, and have done for all, over 30 years. And it's a career path that I think we're just now scraping uh, the surface on opportunities, uh, particularly for African-Americans. All of you kind of mentioned the word opportunity in, in what you said, and you talked about people that brought you along and, and uh, gave you those opportunities. Um, as Black Americans, throughout your career, um, and also in your time in the water sector as leaders and being out there, have there been challenges? Have there been difficult moments? Have there been uh, instances of discrimination or racism? Or have you witnessed, uh, you know, incidents or, or examples of racism, you know, as, as Black Americans that, um, you know, stand out and sh show that there hasn't been equity or that there's problems? Who would like to take that first? I'm yeah. willing to jump in. I'll, I'll jump in. This is Randy. Okay. Uh, certainly, I've seen those situations. Now, as I said, before I was a general counsel for 15 years with two utilities, I was a lawyer. And I certainly had situations where uh, you're brought in 
on projects, but you're not really given anything meaningful to do that you can really grow from. That's what a career is made of, be it in the law or in the water utility, that you get a certain level of projects at this at this point, and then you learn that, you master that, you move up. So after three or four years, you're able to say, I have a briefcase full of experiences that are valuable. And that means you have to have mentors and individuals who see you as worthy of training and give you opportunities that you can show your best and really, really do your best and grow. Uh, so it, it is out there. I mean, there are times that people look through you instead of really seeing you as an intelligent, productive part of the team. Um, but at the same time, uh, my uh, career has been based on individuals who did see intelligence, did see that I was competent, and did give me opportunities to grow. And that's why now I, I've had a, a career that's shown longevity. And that is the biggest strength that you can have in a career. Thanks. Randy, Kathy, you wanted to add? Sure. Um, I can definitely say yes to all of those questions that you were asking. Um, but I remember early on, and this was this was in 1992, um, taking us back some years, but this is when I was leaving the US EPA and I was coming to the city of Cincinnati as a chemist. And I actually was hired to work in our granular activated carbon treatment plant. And I remember I landed in, in the water quality and treatment division. And they made it very clear to me. In fact, I remember several employees telling me you were only here because we just got in trouble. We did not have any black people hired in this division. The city came down on us. And so we have to make some changes. And so you are one of them. And several employees told me that was the only reason that I was there. That basically I was one of the stats that they now had to check off. Um, they did not make it very comfortable for me at times. Others did. There were certainly you know, brought me in as if I was one of the crew, as I should have been treated. But they made it very clear that I was just here because they had gotten in trouble. And I was one of a series of hires that was getting ready to happen. And in fact, it did happen. I think the four or five chemists that they hired were all black, you know, and so that hit me hard, you know, and, and it's like, whoa. And it, it messes with your psyche because then it's like, well, now I'm, I'm hired for that reason, but do they even think that I'm qualified? Will I get opportunities? Do they just feel that I'm going to be stuck here? And, and so that was the beginning of me coming to the city. You know, and since then, I've certainly seen other situations, you know, policies that were in place that, that really hurt African-Americans from moving forward in promotional opportunities, how projects were selected, um, to even work in communities. Sometimes there was bias to often go to other communities versus those communities that were populated with more African-Americans in those communities. So I've seen a series of things definitely over the years. Um, but similar to what Randy said, but there have been key people, you know, along the way that have said and really championed, you know, what I was trying to do and how I was trying to move forward. But they were very helpful and encouraging to say, you have what it takes to move forward. I will help you move forward. You know, let me teach you this so you can be available and compete. You know, so truly two, two men, white males, um, that really took me under their wing 
early on and put me on, on that path that said, hey, let me choose some things because I know that you might not know what you need to be ready for promotional opportunities. And I'm willing to be that mentor for you to move on. And so it takes those type of people when you don't see people who look like you, um, you know, to help you along the way. And so I was very thankful and, and still am very thankful for those two people who put me on a path of learning and opportunities um, that have brought me to this point. Yeah. Thanks. Well, Kathy, for- I'm glad that you, you shared the, that experience of what that dynamic is like being in a, a trailblazing position. And I'm curious what that was like for Tony. You mentioned that in the three utilities that you led, you were the first. So I'm curious what that reception was like. Yeah, it, uh, the reception was, uh, as you know, our industry is uh, historically represented by uh, uh, white males. And uh, it's been our culture in our industry and all the utilities that I've worked at. Uh, and so being the first uh, African-American CEO of a utility, uh, a lot of resistance, uh, a lot of uh, non-acceptance uh, in the beginning, particularly back in the 1990s of being in that role or being accepted in that role. Uh, but as Randy said, and as Kathy said, there were folks who gave me opportunity and folks that mentored me along the way. Um, and so, but as a leader, you are faced with not only uh, uh, bringing in, uh, you know, your, your views and your talents, but you're fighting a culture, not only within the utility, but a culture within the industry uh, that's been there uh, for quite a while. Uh, one of the experiences that I do remember back in the 1990s you know, when I first started attending uh, WEFTEC and uh, AWWA uh, conferences, and you get out on those exhibit floors and you see how big the industry really is. But then when you look at the participants, then uh, there was not a lot of representation. Uh, and so uh, it inspired me to become uh, someone who wanted to be a leader, uh, someone who could open up doors and opportunities and paths uh, for others to benefit from a career uh, in the water sector. And, uh, I, you know, I've been a big proponent of uh, making sure that there are youth initiatives connected with our high schools and colleges to so that we can introduce the path uh, to not only African-Americans, but also to women. Uh, we need uh, to have more women uh, in our industry and in our leadership. And so, uh, it has been a tough road, uh, and you are going to face a lot of obstacles and a lot of hurdles. Uh, but if you are committed and if you, uh, really want to succeed, you will figure out how to, uh, manage those, those culture shifts and those changes that need to be made and eliminate those barriers that will open up opportunities. Yeah, great. <clears throat> Rakia, you had a great question that kind of played off of West's new inflow program. Do you want to <laughs> uh, mention that and, and see kind of what folks think about, about that? Right. Uh, a couple of years ago, we launched inflow, um, which stands for introducing future leaders to opportunities in water. And it is designed to, um, 
representation among groups that have been traditionally underrepresented within the water sector. Um, and totally, for example, you mentioned you know, the lack of representation. Uh, so my question to all of you is, during your career, how did you see yourself represented in the water sector and how did that affect you? Well, I would just echo what, what Tony has said. And Tony is a, a friend and, and a role model to me, uh, especially with him being the first so many times. So often when we look at these organizations, uh, it's white males uh, throughout, the, throughout the organization. Uh, but that time is changing. And I think, again, if we look at excellence, excellence is the key. I'm the first um, African-American CEO, commissioner of Philadelphia Water. I was the first African-American general counsel at MS, MSD. Uh, to be a full-time in-house general counsel. In all of those situations, I had to take the ball and run with it. Now, what I found happened was those around me saw that I had the ability to lead, that I was intelligent, and that I was successful with the programs that I had. And it didn't take long for them to follow me. And so, but you have to have that opportunity, number one. Number two, you have to have a culture that sees value in everyone. So I didn't have a lot of sniping on the side. I'm sure it went on some, but I'm a big believer that if you're successful in what you're doing, others will have to back away unless they want to be known as the person who stopped the organization from moving forward. So I, I, was, I was able to do that. I'll say this real quick, too, that you can change the culture. I was the first African-American male at MSD uh, or general counsel, stayed there 10 years, left when I wanted to leave. When it came time for me to leave, I had mentored a, a white female who was an engineer, Susan Myers. And then she became the general counsel. And I'm glad to say she's been the general counsel for over 10 years and just recently won the uh, St. Louis Business Journal in-house counsel, general counsel of the year award. So now everyone looks back at the last 20 years of the organization and they say, well, we have an African male who's applying. Well, yeah, maybe they'll be as good as Randy is and bring him in. Or we have a woman who's applying. Well, Susan's been here for 10 years. What I mean to say is you're knocking down those walls and those misperceptions. And that's by including people, widening the, the, the net that we're, we're pulling in diverse candidates, both minorities and females. I would, I would definitely agree um, with all of Randy said. And I, I can remember early on, similar to what Tony said, you go to those conferences and often African-Americans do this. We go, we, we are at times the only or one of a few in a, in a room and we look around and the room 300 people and we count. Oh, it's eight of us here today. You know, and clearly, <laughs> you know, clearly in those conferences, you could do that. You know, you could, you could see 450 people were listed as being there, but you could look around the room and say, oh, 11 of us are here. You know, definitely early on, that's a challenge, you know? And so in the hallways, I would quickly introduce myself to somebody who looked like me, you know, so I could have that conversation and learn from each other. Um, but now that's changed. You know, it's definitely more women that we see at conferences. It's more African-American um, Afri African-Americans and people of color in general at the conferences. But I also say it has also changed in the roles that we hold. You know, years ago, 
Yeah, well, you might have seen more people of color, but but they were coming to a utility management conference and they were leading the accounting section. They were leading the HR section. You know, now they're coming to conferences and they're the executive director, their chief counsel. They're in different roles. And so that's significant that we are now at that point. And that brings more opportunities for us to now, as Randy said, mentor and help others and lead the way, you know, now I have in this utility, there's there's more African-Americans that are holding leadership roles, you know, leading the HR section, um, you know, leading the IT service desk area, um, run, uh, looking at and sitting for promotional opportunities in our distribution division and, and you know, being in charge of, of the crews out in the, in the areas where before they were a member of the crew, now they're in charge of the crews, you know, and so... We're definitely seeing that more um, African-Americans holding superintendent roles, um, getting their licenses, that type of stuff. And so we definitely see that that has changed over the years. But 19, the 1990s, early 2000s, clearly, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you could count the number of <laughs> at a conference. Now yeah. it's definitely changed. And it's a good feeling. It's definitely something that I look forward to, you know, and that's how I met Rakia, you know, <laughs> let's have a conversation. Let's get to know mm-hmm. what can we do? How can we stay in touch? You know, let me know what you need. If you, if you're having a challenge with navigating something, know that you can text and email me and, and I'll take time and we'll figure it out. That's what it's all about. And that's how we help each other, you know, because it's, it, it can be challenging. It can be hurtful. It can want to lead this career some days because of the things that happen, but it's helpful to know that you have other people that look like you and might have experienced the same thing as you that you can reach out to and learn from and navigate from your situation forward. What about you, Tony? You know, you've, you've come in and been the first African-American at three different utilities, you know, how has that kind of created, created paths for others in those utilities or, or in other ones? Yeah, it uh, it has uh, uh, been an opportunity for me, as uh, Randy uh, spoke about, is to be able to get more uh, African Americans and also women in leadership roles. Uh, and uh, when you look at my current utility, we have uh, in our C-suite, uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, uh, females that are uh, leading. You know, our innovation program, for example, uh, leading um, our uh, supplier diversity and procurement programs and leading uh, uh, our general counsel. Uh, And so uh, we are creating paths and opportunities, as Randy said, uh, that, you know, people can look back and say that, you know, they've been successful. And so if there's opportunities in the future. Uh, then you know, let's make sure that we are inclusive of of select and who we select and who are who's running uh, major parts of our utility. Uh, the other thing I would echo is as it relates to the inflow program. We are uh, a supporter of the inflow program, and we uh, have historically been involved with a lot of uh, youth programs uh, to make sure that we're opening up career paths for. Uh, high school and, and college students, particularly uh, 
in the fields of uh, science, technology, engineering, uh, because, you know, these are good careers. These are great careers for folks to pursue. And, uh, you know, the private sector sucks up a lot of the talent. Uh, so on the public side, we need to uh, continue to promote, uh, continue to recruit, and continue to open up those opportunities and make sure that folks are getting in and getting meaningful uh, work and meaningful opportunities uh, to develop their career paths. You know, that's that's where I wanted to go with the questions next is really is really pushed down here, you know, um, on what utilities should be doing uh, across the country, you know, to to make significant progress in this area. Uh, of of equity and diversity and inclusion. I mean, you all have mentioned some things. Tony just mentioned mentioned a number there, but um, how can we, as a sector, accelerate you know this process and with a real eye on the greater social equity picture? Randy or Kat, Randy, want to take a stab at that? Well, absolutely. One, what we have to do is the utilities have to be welcoming. The history of utilities has, again, been mainly white males. If your uncle worked there, you got pulled in. If your grandfather worked in, you were pulled in. Okay? It's, it's changing. And so we have to be welcoming to everyone. We have to see genius in everyone who comes to our door. Number two, we have to learn to fish in a different pond. If we've been going to the same place looking for the same people, you're not going to find a difference. But what you have to do is go someplace different. For example, I went to, to Howard University, and we had, they had a job fair. We put up a table, and the students were walking by. And uh, I was impressed by the quality of students. Now, I have to admit, some of the young people did exactly what I would have done as a kid, walked right by us. But I stopped, had my sleeves rolled up, and said, by the way, uh, are you, do you want a job this summer? Yes. Well, why don't you think about working for Philadelphia Water? I'm the commissioner. Well, they looked at me and smiled, and you could just see a relaxed feeling come over them that, wait a minute, he may actually mean what he's saying to me. And so I, I would talk to them, and we brought them in for interviews, and some of them have taken the exam, and some of them are going to join us uh, very shortly. So the, the, the big key, again, is to be welcoming, that there isn't a, a, a decision made before they walk into the door, and really allow their intelligence and their hard work and their commitment to be the driving force. Yeah, Kathy, what would you say, you know, that, that the utilities can do to, again, really, really accelerate and, and make even more progress? It's, it's, you have to make those connections. And, and, you know, it might sound a little odd, but you have to be seen, you know. And, and I'll give you an example of, Similar, you know, to what we're sharing, you know, kind of like at a job fair. But, you know, I try my best to go out in the community and, and, you know, let high school students know and let organizations know, you know, who I am and what role I play in the community. As the, as the first, you know, black female director of the utility, many still don't know that, you know. And, and it's interesting, you know, some of the, and it's usually from white males, you know, they play the, Oh, hon, which, which sector of utility um, did you say you were in charge of? 
And I love it when I look right at them and say all of them. Right. <laughs> but but it's that dynamic you get from some people, but but often it's more of the younger people or who are like, Oh, you're in charge of our water? Oh, you know, can can you tell me a little bit more about that? What do you do? And then I start talking about it. And then I ask them, you know, hey, what do you interested in doing? Are you planning to go to college? We have some jobs where you don't have to go to college, you know, and so you know. Being out there and often going to different events and having some of those, you know, chit chats at dinner tables, you know, for fundraisers and stuff often really points me to being able to have some opportunities to talk to some young people to say, hey, here's some opportunities you can likely think of in the future. And they're all around water and, and, you know, water is life. And look how you can touch people every day if you have a career in water. And so a lot of that has to do with making yourself available, you know, being very intentional in, in having and making those connections in the community, at events, college events, high school events, et cetera. And that's certainly something that I try to do on a regular basis. I think that will help our industry in the future. Let me, let me follow up with all three of you on this is, you know, you mentioned some, uh, how you're able to do some of this firsthand recruiting and you're able to be an example to others, you know, as a, as a black American who has ascended to the top and here's the things you can do now because of that. What about somebody like me? You know, what about the white man in the water sector that wants to try to do whatever, you know, to increase these equity diversity issues, you know, um, what would be your advice for, for those people, which, like you said, are still a, a high portion of the water workforce? I would say quickly be approachable and speak up. You know, just because you're not African-American doesn't mean that you don't can have a positive influence on African-Americans receiving job opportunities and for, for spreading the importance of diversity. If you stand quietly on the sidelines, you're actually hurting any progress that the utility is trying to make. And so I think it's, it's imperative that you do make yourself approachable, that you do make time to have lunch with someone. It's all really, you know, we can have new programs and all, but really what it comes down to is how do we interact with one another as individuals? Do we, do we embrace and see the importance of the individual that's standing in front of me? Do we see a career path? And do we encourage those individuals? I think that's what you've heard all the panelists talk about, the importance of others seeing something special in us. And I I would also add that you really need to get to know the employees, you know, know their culture. That's significant. When I look at Steve Hellman was the CFO of water um, and he was one of the two people I mentioned um, really put me on a path. Um, and, And when I look back on what he did, he did not just want to give me opportunities. He wanted to know who I, who I am. He wanted to know where I came from. He wanted to know my family dynamics, you know, my mom. I mean, you know, he, he wanted to know me, you know, and in doing that, and, and I wanted to know him. I know his family, you know, and, and in doing that, I comfortable with him. So I was able to say, Steve, you're sending me to this meeting, but I'm intimidated. You know, the last time I went, it was 15 white males there and they wouldn't let me get a word in, you know, and I know I have things to say, but 
bothers me, you know, and, and he, we would have those kinds of conversations. So then he knew how to help me, you know, and it was him going behind the scenes and telling them, let her talk. It was him working with me to have more of a comfort, he, you know, and so he'd say, Kathy, you know what you're talking about, you know, you know, if they're treating you this way, don't take it. Don't let them treat you that way. Don't change who you are. I mean, he would have those kinds of conversations with me, but that was me getting to a comfort level with him to tell him, these are some fears I have. These are some things that I'm not feeling comfortable about. You know, I'm trying to do the best job, but I don't feel that I can get in there and do it. You know, I walk in this room and 15 white males look at me and they're, they don't look like they're very inviting, you know? And so once I was able to have those very candid conversations, then he knew what to do and how to help me, you know, and then he would bring me into different things. And, and, and my maiden name at the time was Bernardino and, and my office was right next to him. And he'd yell, Bernardino, get in here and learn these spreadsheets. And I think, oh, more spreadsheets. <laughs> but, but he was setting me up for the future, you know, for different things um, I might need. And so he started to recognize some of those different things. But I think at the heart of that was him wanting to know me and my culture. And, and it was very different than his but he was very interested in that. And so as a white male leader, you know, I think that is something that, that you sincerely would need to do is to get to know the employees, get to know their culture. And then from there, you can then see some gaps. Oh, that's not something that, that she or he has experienced before. I need to fill that gap. I need to give them opportunities. I need to have conversations about that because some things I think we take for granted that, We've had those same opportunities in our past. We have not had those same opportunities. And so to be able to have those conversations and somebody candidly tell you that, then you know how you can move forward to give those opportunities and help them along the way. Right. Tony, advice for the white males out there in the water <laughs> sector that want to be part <laughs> of this change. Well, first of all, I think silence is uh, complicity. Uh, and so it is time for you to. Uh, to really step up and show that you're serious about making changes. Uh, you know, it is necessary for uh, utilities to assess and change their internal climates and culture uh, to support uh, equity and inclusion. Uh, it's also important that uh, there's a commitment to uh, uh, Make sure that the workforce mirrors the community across the breadth and the the uh, depth of the organization. Uh, and I think it's important that uh, it goes broader than just the utility. It has to be in the community. It has to be about supporting uh, uh, environmental, racial, and social justice initiatives within the community. Uh, and also, uh, there's a lot of different ways that uh, you can address uh, some of the culture issues inside the utility, uh, just an example, uh, in our utility, we have created an equity core team where every division has a equity liaison uh, that is helping us develop an equity action plan. And uh, we have started with what we call courageous conversations and having uh, an opportunity throughout the organizations. Right now, we're doing them by Zoom because of COVID, but uh, for folks to just sit down and talk about culture and talk about how they feel and talk about race and and uh, civil unrest and social uh, justice issues that are going on in our city. 
And those are very good uh, opportunities or icebreakers for everybody to kind of get an understanding of who we are and who each other is. And uh, starting to really focus on how we can address this uh, uh, unconscious or implicit bias that exists in all of our organizations. Uh, so those are some of the things that I think, uh, whether you're, you know, a, a black leader or a white leader, those are the type of things that I think can be effective inside our utilities. You know, th these conversations over the past few months, we've seen numerous calls for equity, whether it's at individual organizations or through industries as a whole. So does the nation's need for equity relate specifically to the water sector? I would think there's no, there's no difference. We're, we are a sub part of the, of the entire community. And so as there are issues of race in our community, it's natural that to, there's a subset of, of it will be issues of race within our organizations. And as Tony said, there's issues of implicit, implicit bias. And so we have to find ways and develop programs that allow us to have entree into these organizations. And then an incubator that allows people to make mistakes. That's one reason I was able to be successful. I wasn't perfect every day, you know. And as a result, there were times you have to go back, rebuild, go in another direction. But I always had the freedom to do that. And I didn't lose my stature by saying, hey, I don't know X and Y. Or let's talk about this over a meeting. So you have to do that. Number two, you have to divide, design programs that address the issue and allow people in. Uh, we have one, um, in, uh, Interns to Hire, where we looked at our civil service program the, and the, some of the hurdles people have to go through. And we said, wait a minute, is there a way that we could make it so that it's easier for them to take the test sooner after they finish their internship instead of having to wait several months and we're losing people to the private sector? And we came up with a very unique program that, that brings people in. We have a program that helps individuals have a, a criminal past an opportunity to become uh, uh, involved with green infrastructure, which is a very modern and very much needed uh, tr trade at this time. But it opened up doorways for individuals who felt left out. One individual told me who was in that program, he said, Randy, since I've been in this program, I have a job, I bought a car, and my wife and I bought a house. That's beautiful. It's changing lives when you let people in. And you will be surprised that everyone has something to contribute. Rakia, I would just add, you know, related related to this is, you know, in the water sector, we definitely did some things first, right? We need to admit mm -hmm. we have these processes that in many cases are more damaging to people of color, of, you know, employees. And we need to admit also that we have we have processes and practices and procedures that impact mostly African-American community members more so than others, you know, and that they've been there for a long time, you know, processes like shutoffs or yeah. how we select capital improvement projects and where we select those projects, um, different things like that. We need to admit first that those are a problem because I know in, in conversations that I've had, you know, some general conversations of, we had a council member who said, that we likely shut off more um, households that are owned by African-Americans. And 
you know, was that true? And so as I took that back to my staff, my staff quickly wanted to say, oh, here we go again. Another council member bringing forth something that's not true. That's not true. That's not what we do. But let's look at the data. And the data never lies. The data, let's break it down. Let's, let's correlate it with census tract data. We know data about our neighborhoods. What it turned out, I think seven out of 10 times we were out there doing shutoffs. Um, in seven out of 10 neighborhoods, we were doing more shutoffs in those neighborhoods than others because we had attempted to maximize our work in those neighborhoods, which meant we went there more often. And then the neighborhoods that were mostly white customers, we didn't go there as often. And so we let them slide when it was a, when the shutoff was needed in their neighborhood. So it did turn out that we were doing shutoffs more in, in black neighborhoods than white. But you have to look at the data. You have to first admit that, yeah, that's true, that council member said. And often we are not willing to have those conversations to admit the problem first. So I think as a water sector, we need to admit that, yeah, we have some of these practices that are occurring. And then after we admit it and we realize it, then what are we going to do about it? If something at that point, then we got bigger issues than we thought because now we recognize there's a problem, but we're not really willing to solve it. But I think if we start admitting it, say it out loud, come forward with a solution, that's where we need to be. And certainly that's some of the things that we've tried to do here in Cincinnati is let's have these difficult conversations. Let's talk it out. Nobody's pointing fingers at you. Many of these processes we have inherited, but now that we know what are we going to do about it? And that's, that's where we need to be. Yeah, Tony, it, it, you guys have transitioned to kind of the kind of the last question here. So I'll just put to you, you know, as, as we have these issues around affordability and shutoffs and environmental justice and, um, you know, where projects happen and where they don't, um, what's the, I guess, what's the fresh look that needs to be paid to these issues as we all, again, try to collectively push equity harder than ever, really? What's, what's the role of water utilities in, in that scene and in their communities? Well, one of the things that I will just point out is, uh, you know, as far as the, uh, uh, the affordability uh, and, uh, of course, with COVID-19, all of the uh, delinquent accounts, all those issues are really uh, affecting uh, the Black community. Uh, and I think we need to recognize that as a, a, an industry. Uh, but we need to do more to advance equity in the communities that we serve. And one of the biggest areas that we can make a benefit is uh, in our capital programs. We uh, are probably the largest uh, capital programs in our cities. Uh, and so we need to look at how we can uh, uh, create job opportunities uh, within our infrastructure programs. Uh, and whether that's, you know, uh, with our contractors or, or with the utility itself, uh, you know, we, for example, we have a local labor utilization policy where contractors have to commit to using local labor on our, on our jobs. Uh, we also need utilities to collaborate more with the community as it relates to our uh, organizations and nonprofits that are focused on building workforce capacity and contractor uh, capacity in our city so that we can have that economic inclusion 
on infrastructure. Uh, and uh, we need to create a space for uh, uh, small businesses and uh, minority-owned businesses to mentorships to have opportunities to become subcontractors or even prime contractors in our capital program. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'll just point out, and this just happened last week, our mayor has established a uh, economic opportunity in procurement and supplier diversity task force here in Louisville uh, that is made up of not only the utilities, but uh, the school districts and uh, the airport authority, uh, transportation, all of those organizations that are coming together to figure out how we can ensure that minority suppliers, contractors, and vendors have the opportunity uh, to participate in projects. Uh, in the next five-year window, there's a $5 billion need in our city for infrastructure across the board. And so how do we make sure that we are building uh, economic inclusion, we're building black wealth, and we are eradicating those systemic and those historical barriers that have prevented uh, the growth of those minority companies? And uh, uh, like I said earlier, creating jobs. The number one poison in our community is poverty. And we need to recognize that as utilities, and we can be a part in helping heal and uh, move our communities forward. But we got to have economic inclusion uh, for those communities to make a difference. Thank you, Tony. Um, I think within the space of the past hour, we've delved into uh, rooted issues that have no easy fix, but you all have definitely contributed some insights, perspectives, and solutions um, that we'll continue to see unfold. Um, so thank you all so much for joining us uh, for this conversation. Uh, we hope that you'll continue to, to, to tune in and offer your insights. Uh, we'll do it for today's episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Words on water.